My name is Misty Harper Anderson. I am the interim worship director here at Restoration, and it is such a privilege to be here to share with you tonight from the Word of God. So we're going to start with a question, and that is this. Hopefully I can see you. You're right. Chad, these lights are crazy bright. Uh, how many of you, this is deeply spiritual, how many of you have ever been dumped? Come on. Oh, that's a really high percentage. I'm sorry to make fun of your pain. It's my pain, too. It's my pain, too. Okay, so out of those of you who have been dumped, how many of you on those occasions have heard, oh, it's not you, it's me? Okay, that's a smaller percentage. Well, during my sophomore year of college, I dated this super cute boy. He was so cute. He was really fun. I thought things were going really well. We'd been friends for a while before we ever dated. We hung out on weekends. We studied together a little bit during the week. Our friends got along. Like, it's win, win, win until one day. He asked me if I would meet him in the tunnels that connected our dorms. I went to college at the University of North Dakota. It's very cold there. There are tunnels. But I knew that when he asked me to meet him, it wasn't good. And I was right. He was like, listen, things just aren't working out, but it's not you, it's me. <laughs> okay. I think in the history of the world, most people that have heard those words don't necessarily believe them, even if there is some truth to the thought, the intention behind them. It doesn't keep us from wondering, what could we have done differently to make this go better? Now, let me flip the script a little bit. Sometimes, in difficult relationships, it really is me. I am an Enneagram 3, and if you know anything about the Enneagram, there are nine types. You can research that on your own. There is a plethora of information out there. But part of being an Enneagram three is having incredibly high expectations. And part of having incredibly high expectations means that I am easily disappointed. And on the strength finders list, my third strength is achiever. So over here, I'm easily disappointed in other people. And on this side, I'm also easily disappointed in myself. So as we continue this series, Those People, I think it's important to recognize that sometimes we are those people. Sometimes I am or I have been highly critical and highly controlling. So why is that? Why is it that even those of us who are Jesus followers and we love Jesus and we love the people of Jesus even knowing those things, sometimes why do we behave so badly? And while there are more answers than I'm certain that we can discuss here tonight, I think that much of it comes back to where we find our identity. So I'm going to share a quote with you from a man who was a priest. His name is Henry Nowen. And I think this speaks to so much of this. It's from his book titled, Life of the Beloved. You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is, manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. 
The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt or offended or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting embrace. When we are not seeing ourselves through the lens of Jesus, we can grow insecure and impatient and dissatisfied with our own lives and then become really critical of other people. So while Pastor Rob offers tools to equip us to deal with difficult relationships with other people, and I think those are so valuable, the focus tonight is going to be on one of the most difficult relationships, and that's the one that we have with ourselves. We're going to look at three biblical truths that I hope we will recall and reflect on when we feel ourselves becoming those people. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your presence during the musical part of worship tonight. The power of those words, how beautifully they speak to who you are and who we are because of you. That's a theme that's been playing over and over again in my mind. Because who you are doesn't change. I pray that as we are together here tonight, Lord, that nothing would come from my mouth that you wouldn't want me to say, and that everything that does is filtered through the lens of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I have a Sunday school question for you. <laughs> Cheater. Okay, okay, close. You don't even know the question. In whose image were you created? Now, Jesus is already taken, so what else? God. Anything else? Okay. So Jesus, God, both of those things are true. But we are created in the image of this triune God. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are mind, body, and soul. For a moment, I want you to close your eyes and listen to these words of David. I'm going to read... Psalm 8, verses 3 through 9. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Often when we think of being created by God, I think we go back to the creation story, and that certainly is a beautiful place to start. 
God has created the garden, and now he is creating Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he breathes his own very ruach, his very spirit into him to give him life. And then he creates Eve out of the rib of Adam. He creates her as an azer for Adam, which is the Hebrew word for helper, and it is a word that is used to describe God himself. So why is it then that we can stand at the ocean, which I love the ocean. We can stand at the foot of a mountain and say, you, God, are so spectacular and magnificent. You have created all of those things. But we don't think that about ourselves. God has made us just a little lower than him. He has given us dominion over this world, and we can profess what an incredible creator he is and often forget that we are part of his creation. I see it going back to that quote from Henry Nouwen and all of the things that are said about us or to us throughout the course of our lives. Because shortly after God created humankind came the serpent. And the serpent says to Eve, basically, how God created you, it's not enough. And you can't trust him. And it's not that much different in this world that we live in. We question ourselves, we question God, even when things aren't going how we thought they would go or should go. And I have been there, like recently, like this last week. So we continue to have to go back to these timeless truths that he's provided us about who he is and who we are because of him. This week I spent time with my spiritual director. Uh, I have lots of people that help keep my life together, and she is one of them. And we have been friends for about 18 years, and it's just been in the last year that she's had this more formal role as spiritual director in my life. And she is kind and good and, and loves Jesus and is filled with his spirit. And what she helped me to see is how much time I spent making myself smaller in multiple attempts to gain approval from a group of people who were never going to give it to me. And in all of that, here's the real kicker, I can see how I was trying to control that situation. God was telling me, Misty, these aren't your people. You don't have to try to fit in here. They're, they're good and decent people, but this box that they have you in and the beliefs that they have, they're not yours. And you don't have to stay here. In fact, I'm asking you to go. And I was like, hold up, God. Hold up. If they could just see me, if they could just see all that I have to bring to this situation, to this environment, then surely they would approve of me. In that situation, it was really them and not me. She helped me to see how much freer I am and how much more of myself I am outside of that box. How God created me and how God created you with your personality and your gifts and your talents, it's not by happenstance and it is not a mistake. Be in awe 
of how he's created you. Find your security in that when you are starting to lean towards those people behaviors. Because we can't participate with God in the specific plans that he has for each of our lives and the purposes that he has for us if we are stuck inside somebody else's box. So this leads me to Rahab. I'm going to read just one verse from Matthew, and it's Matthew 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. My husband attends a weekly Bible study, and this year they are going through the book of Matthew. And as they were going through the genealogy of Jesus, the question was asked, why does, why does Matthew include these specific women in the lineage of Jesus? And, of course, the standard answers are given. Well, these women weren't Jewish. They were living lives apart from God. Some of them, like Rahab, their lives were downright scandalous. And still God used them for his purposes. Okay. There is truth in that. All of those things are true, and yet that's not the whole part of their stories. Each one of the women listed in that genealogy are brave and bold and courageous. And yes, invited to participate in God's story of redemption. So let me tell you about Israel's first encounter with Rahab. They were just starting to scope out the promised land for a second time now. It's been 40 years. Moses has died. Joshua is their new leader. And they are getting ready to cross the river to begin the process of conquering this land that God is giving to them. So Joshua sends two spies to check out Jericho. And they encounter Rahab, whose profession at the time with prostitution. Now, it's probably not what we think of when we think of prostitution. It most likely was part of pagan worship. There were temples, and there were male and female prostitutes, and it was part of how they worshipped the pagan gods. So at the risk of her very life, she hid these two spies from the king of Jericho. And here's something that I find fascinating, and it's in Joshua 2, verses 9 through 13, and these are the words of Rahab. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt 40 plus years ago. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, she references him as Yahweh, which is their name for God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live. 
along with my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all of their families. So she already knows something of this one true God, and she believes it. And because of that, she is willing to risk her life and the lives of her family to hide these spies and to work with God. And sometime later, she comes through for them. In Joshua 6, 22 through 25. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She keeps her promise, and God's people keep their promise. And she lived among Israel for the rest of her days and becomes part of the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Although she is most often referred to as Rahab the prostitute, that is not the entire sum of her life story. Because she is also Rahab, the one who believes God. Rahab, the one who partners with God. Rahab, who is the great, great times, how many ever, grandmother of Jesus. God had an incredible purpose for her life, and she needed to trust him in order to participate in that purpose. So let me affirm something for you also. You are not the sum of your mistakes. In order to step away from some of the those people behaviors, we have to know that. I have to know that I am not Misty the fill-in-the-blank poor choices or behaviors or attitudes. We have to know that it is fill in the blank your name, we are the redeemed. We are the beloved of God. We are created with purpose. We can see, when we can see ourselves in that reflection, we can be more generous with our actions and with our attitudes and with our words. And the better odds, the better the odds are of steering clear of the behaviors that we should be steering away from. The value of our lives comes from something much deeper than anything in this world. And we see this so powerfully in the life of Jesus. So if you have a Bible with me, turn, or if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 3, and we're just going to read verses 13 through 17. And if not, it will be on the screen. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water... 
the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Some other translations say, With whom I am well pleased. So do you see it? Because something was pointed out to me that I had never noticed before in all of my readings of this text. God was pleased with Jesus before Jesus ever accomplished a thing. Jesus hadn't performed one miracle or healed one person or called one disciple, and his father was pleased with him. This is the self-giving love of God. It's not earned. God loves us before we ever accomplish a thing. And as I mentioned in the beginning of this message, I am an achiever, and so that is really good news for my achieving heart. Instead of working towards some goal with the intention of pleasing God or pleasing others, I can work from the place of already known that I am unconditionally loved by the Father. And it may sound like semantics, but it isn't. It's, it's similar to this, working from a scarcity mindset versus working from a mindset of abundance. Since God's love is self-giving, it is part of who he is, there will never be a shortage and there will always be an abundance. When we consider the life of Jesus and all that he did in three to three and a half years of ministry, we can believe that all he accomplished comes from a place of knowing his identity, a deep knowing of his identity and the unconditional love of God the Father. Jesus is very certain of who he is, whose he is, and why he was sent. He was very clear on his purpose. We can read throughout the Gospels that he has moments of saying, it's not time yet. Now is not yet the time. To the point in the days leading up to the cross, the time has come. Eugene Peterson, who is the was the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible, wrote this. For a long time, all Christians called each other saints. They were all saints, regardless of how well or badly they lived, of how experienced or inexperienced they were. The word saint did not refer to the quality of virtue of their acts, but rather to the kind of life to which they had been chosen, life on a battlefield. It was not a title given after a spectacular performance. It was a mark of whose side they were on. Saint means being set apart for God's side. It means we are chosen out of the stream of circumstantiality for something important that God is doing. So yes, God invites us into kingdom work. And Lord willing, we will accomplish great things for the kingdom for God in our homes and in our communities and in relationships with whomever we interact. For some of us, it will even be around the globe. And even still, that's not our identity. Just like I am not Misty the sum of my poor choices, I'm also not 
misty whatever I've accomplished. And the same holds true for each of you. When I returned to university in 2015, I was obsessed with earning good grades. And parents, if you have students in here, please forgive me for saying this. After college, nobody cares about your grades. Now, if you are a high school student, this is my disclaimer. If you are a high school student and you want to earn scholarships, people are going to care about your grades. But post-college, nobody cares. That doesn't mean that, okay, well, I really dug myself into a hole there. But truly, it goes back to the, the saying that is, hey, what do they call a pastor? Uh, or what do they call a seminary student who gets all C's? Pastor. What do they call a med student that got all C's? Doctor. What do they call whatever your major is here? And whatever your title is here. So I wonder, did I miss something along the way? because I was working so hard for the A? Was there something that God wanted me to see that I missed because I was so focused on achieving and people-pleasing? What would it have looked like to let go of some of that control and to be more present for the journey? What does that look like now? How can we let go of control how can we be less critical, whether that's an inner self-critic or an outward others-focused critic, to pay attention to what God is doing in and around us? And what does it look like to be so secure in our identities that we don't have to behave like those people? Well, as we leave here this evening and prepare for the week ahead, and, and let me share with you that every pastor and preacher that I know, our hope is that you will carry what we've said into the week ahead of you. My prayer is that we'll walk away feeling more confident in our identity. That we would remember you, you, you are created in the image of God. Remember that you were created with God-given purpose. Remember that you are the saints of God whose love for you is not based on your accomplishments. And then consider what that translates into or how that translates into your everyday interactions. Can being confident in our identities allow us to offer more grace to others and offer more grace to ourselves. My encouragement is this. Take time this week meditating on passages of Scripture, potentially Psalm 8, that speak to who you are and how God views you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have created us so beautifully, mind, body, and soul. And, it, and it's not an arrogance that I say we should be astounded and in awe of how you've created us, but in the very fact that you have created us, that the words that we are fearfully and wonderfully made are not just words, the, that you knew everything about us 
before we were ever part of this world. They're not just words, but they are in fact how you've created us in your triune image. So let us go forward, Jesus, with that hope and that security, knowing that we are so loved by you, that you have created us with purpose and invited us to participate in kingdom work with you. What an honor and privilege it is to be your people. Amen.